This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back. I've, many of you know I've been gone for the last several weeks uh, with my duties with the New York Yankees down at spring training, and uh, it's been a great experience as always and, and a great time down there being in the sun and being around baseball. And we're more optimistic now that we're getting to that here in Connecticut. So um, it is great to be back. And this is a live show today, so we're going to take questions. And my guest here in the studio will be Dr. Michael Scanlon. Dr. Scanlon is part of the Connecticut Foot Group, CT Foot Group. He is a podiatrist. And he's one of our favorite guests. He comes on regularly to talk about foot pain, things going on in the area of podiatry, and we have several questions for him. He always, he always drops a, a decent hit. I mean, the hint he gives us is always so good, uh, and and I can remember them right off the top of my head. Um, with plantar fasciitis, we talked about using a tennis ball and rolling it on the bottom of your foot. Uh, we talked about sanitizing your shoes instead of using powder, using Lysol spray. Uh, he's grinning because I remember all these things and have incorporated them into the things I do. So whenever I learn that much from a guest, it's always great having them back on. I'm going to give you the phone numbers now, and I'll give them throughout the show, but 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. It's also star 9842, or if you don't want to call in and just want to shoot a quick email over, it's info at alessimd.com. This week in medicine, and this day in medicine, April 14th, 1787, Dr. Pierre-Charles Alexandre Louis was born. And Dr. Louis was a French physician and a teacher. And he devised something he called the numerical method. And basically, he was the first person to start using numbers and statistics as they applied to medicine. So it was really the forerunner of what we call epidemiology now or evidence-based medicine, something we espouse a great deal on this program. Essentially, what we're saying is you need to collect good data, get accurate, supportive data before you act. So before you change something in the way you do it, make sure you have good data behind it. A lot of people don't. Okay, they're out there hawking snake oil, for lack of a better term. Actually, literally snake oil. I was on with Ray this week, Ray Dunaway, talking about somebody has new oil to prevent dementia and cure concussion. So those people are out there. And the question becomes, is it something that's evidence-based? Has it withstood the test of a double-blind or blinded controlled study? So, again, we remember Dr. Louis. Uh, also, it's interesting that he was the first person to use a watch to time the pulse, to time a patient's pulse, um, and uh, that was back in 1787. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been away at spring training with the New York Yankees, 
Uh, you know, here's an interesting overlap. A lot of people always say to me, I'm starting to be forgetful. One of the things we don't do enough of is make lists and have a list of things we have to do or something pops in our mind, like a great idea. Even at night, you're laying in bed, you get this great idea, and then you don't remember it in the morning. Write it down. And the people who really looked at this first was IBM. IBM, the computer company, had a thing called a ThinkPad. Now, everybody my age thinks the ThinkPad was a laptop computer, which many of us had. It was a great laptop computer. But the ThinkPad was actually a brown, quasi-leather-bound pad. And it had a folder, the leather folder, but in it were inserts. You could change the inserts, and it was called a ThinkPad. And it was designed to fit in an IBM employee's breast pocket. You just put that right in your pocket. so that, And they encouraged their employees, whenever you had an idea, just write it down. Something came in your mind, write it down, draw something, something like that. So they called it the ThinkPad. And this was going on in the 50s and 60s. And if you ran out of paper, they had refills for it. And it made me think about that because it's something we don't always do. But I observe people using these things. Uh, there was a manager at the hotel where I was staying. And suddenly he took out a little spiral brown pad to write something down to, to make sure he remembered it. So, again, once you put it in writing, you can get it out of your head to some degree and not have to struggle and use energy to start thinking about it again. The reason I was reminded of it with the New York Yankees is they give out a little pad. Uh, you know these ledgers? Everybody's got these ledgers now. When you go to meetings, you go. everybody takes out their bound ledger. Well, they have these small bound ledgers that they made up with the Yankee logo and, and a place to put a pen in it to give to all the staff. So the coaches, staff, all have these little pads, these little ledgers you could slip in your back pocket, your breast pocket, anywhere. And again, design that if you get an idea, put it down. So the bottom line is of what I'm trying to say is that there are ways of helping your memory by alleviating the energy you have to expend on remembering things, making a list. You know, nothing more frustrating than going to the grocery store and trying to remember everything and then get home and you forgot something because you didn't make a list. And it doesn't mean you have dementia or Alzheimer's disease. It just means that you were smart enough to make a list. One of the other things in, in reading about how people can improve their memory, several handy things. You know, we used to always think about doing crossword puzzles. Uh, but now they talk about doing playing games that are timed. So when you're playing a board game or a card game, if you're under the pressure of time, it helps train your brain to some degree. One handy hint to me was writing in longhand actually helps boost memory. And the reason being is because, and, and I don't even know if they teach longhand to children anymore in school, but writing in longhand is a motor activity that's linked with a cognitive function. So again, there are these little hints along the way, but you know, those little spiral pads you put in your pocket, just pick one up. And actually, I don't even think you pick one up. They're so inexpensive now. I think they come like six to a pack. But again, worth doing. Vitamins and supplements. I already touched on this a little bit uh, in what I spoke about on Ray's show. Uh, but one of the things that came up was vitamin E. This has been always controversial. 
people were saying vitamin E is the way to go, prevents cancer, uh, and you won't get demented. Uh, recent study just published, I reviewed it just this week uh, for uh, JAMA Neurology, and vitamin E did not help in that st- from that standpoint. So, again, uh, you have to be somewhat careful about uh, what you believe and what supplements you're buying. Um, actually, there was an article today that uh, Mark Sanchez, a football player, here's a guy who's a big-time football player, uh, high draft choice. He, he just got... He just got picked up for performance-enhancing drugs on a urine test. And right away he says, well, it was because he had tainted supplements. I'm really tired of hearing that from these guys, okay? There are ways you should be able to – you can take those supplements before you take them and submit them. You submit them to uh, your athletic trainer, and then you're able to know exactly what's in it. So there's no excuse for that. Uh, One last thing I did want to mention before we go to the break is – a little bit about headgear. Now, a lot of people are always saying, how do you avoid a concussion? How do you avoid a head injury? And I have to tell you, a helmet is a real good idea in terms of avoiding severe head injury, skull fracture. They now have headgear that is legal to be used in women's lacrosse. I have always maintained that any sport where you have sticks flying and balls moving at high velocity, a helmet should be worn. Yet, it's very difficult to get these young women to wear a helmet. Change is always a loss to people. That's a basic business philosophy. Change is a loss. So we have to start at young ages. I recently had a baseball player who I consulted on who was hit by a ball hit off a bat. He was a pitcher, got hit in the head had a skull fracture and hemorrhage. This isn't uncommon in baseball. It happens. So at what point do you put headgear on a pitcher? And this was discussed, and they came up with several different types of headgear, none of which was suitable. And I I have to almost side with them. They were awkward, and it just didn't work. But for this athlete, we were able to find a liner for a cap uh, made by a company called Unequal. It is... uh, a Kevlar liner that fits right into the baseball cap. And as this player was using it, I mandated that he had to use it for a year. He's actually came to me and said, I don't even know it's there. It's so light, and the way it fits in, I don't even know I have the liner in there. Now, will it avoid everything? No. Is it as good as wearing a big football helmet? No. But it's got to be better than just wearing a cap. So the reason I'm bringing this up is for parents and grandparents who are listening When these children begin to play, even at the little league level, and they're pitching, make sure they're wearing something. The liner costs $40 on the Internet. You could trim it to fit any size cap. It fits right in. The child won't even know they're wearing it. It's so light and so durable. Um, If you go to the website, it was unequal uh, headgear, and you could see the demonstration for it. And again, I don't know how much protection, but whatever it is, it's better than what we have. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back, and we're going to be chatting with my guest today, Dr. Michael Scanlon. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. That is the music of Frankie Valley, formerly of the Four Seasons. He is going to be at the Mohegan Sun tonight. That has got to be, everyone tells me it's a great show. 
and it's a great venue uh, for people to visit. So uh, if you can, get over to Mohegan Sun, enjoy the restaurants and everything else going on at Mohegan Sun. And if you're there tonight, uh, you'll have uh, Frankie Valley um, as well. Uh, before we get to my guest, we're going to take a quick call. We have John from West Hartford, um, who is on the line. John, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, John. You had a question. Yes, I do. I've been taking Carbidopa, Levodopa, uh, one and a half tablets three times a day. And the last time I saw the doctor, he opted to two. When I take two in the morning, that uh, I become unresponsive. I was wondering why this should change like that. So it's interesting. Carbidopa levodopa is a drug uh, designed for someone with Parkinson's disease, and I'm that's assuming what that's what they're for, treating. Yeah. Correct. And what it does is it's actually fairly miraculous. It came about in the 1960s, and it's a way of replacing dopamine in the brain. And in doing so, it has a fraction so that – so if you just take dopamine or L-dopa, it will break down in the peripheral nervous system, in your limbs. It never gets to the brain. So carbidopa, levodopa is a combination drug allowing the L-dopa to get into the brain and smooth Parkinson's. Uh, John, does it help you when you're taking the smaller dose? Uh, I take the one and a half. I don't have any trouble with it. Okay. When I opted the two, uh, two tablets, then I had trouble in the morning primarily. Okay. I can take the two, and a, two tablets at noontime that night but not in the morning. So go back to one and a half and I'm all right. So stick with one and a half until you speak to your doctor. And yeah. let me explain why. You have to carefully balance the medication with each patient. Each patient is different. So we work off of a dosage for any medication that works for most people. In this case, they need to adjust it to suit you. And it sounds like one and a half pills are working for you. I would stick with that until you get back to your doctor and he may, he or she may adjust it as the day goes on. So anyhow, but I would go back to the one and a half and call your doctor on Monday. Okay. Very good. Great chatting with John. Thanks for calling. Thank you. And now we have an opportunity to chat with Dr. Michael Scanlon. Dr. Scanlon is a podiatrist specializing in foot and ankle surgery. Uh, Michael, Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's always nice to be here. Michael, let's talk a little bit about, just to bring everybody up to speed, what you do. What is a podiatrist? Uh, podiatrist. Uh, it's four years medical school. It's podiatry school, uh, usually followed by a two- or three-year residency. Uh, I work, depending on what state you're in, everyone's state's a little bit different, uh, but here in Connecticut, we can work on the foot and the ankle. We do a little bit of everything, uh, from dermatology, infectious disease, to uh, orthopedics. Um, so how did you end up here in Connecticut? <laughs> it's a loaded one. Uh, is I, it? I, I, I am from here. I'm, I'm originally from Western Mass. So for me, this is coming home. Uh, part of my family is from the eastern side of Connecticut, which is predominantly where I practice. So it's a homecoming for me. Um You've been in practice how long here in Connecticut? It's It's been a while. I mean, uh, it's higher math. Uh, I started in 95. Okay. So really, 23 years. I, okay. In Connecticut. Yes. Outstanding. Um, what are some of the common things you come up against and you treat? 
Right now in the springtime, uh, we see a lot of plantar fasciitis, uh, just overuse of the ligament on the bottom of the foot. Um, common this time of the year, uh, weather's getting nice, everyone starts running, and we, get, we see a lot of overuse injuries. Along with that, a lot of stress fractures this time of the year will be coming in as well. Uh, on the surgical side, we do a lot of uh, bunions, hammer toes, neuromas, uh, and heel pain is surgery for that as well. Uh, foot pain seems to be the – is that what the the biggest thing that brings somebody into your office? Y- yes, yes. Uh, do you see a lot more of it now that, in, at least in eastern Connecticut, um, where we practice, more people are working at the casinos and on their feet more and more? Are you seeing more patients – who are in that line of work? Uh, daily. Daily complaint. Uh, people standing 8, 10, 12 hours a day on a hard uh, cement concrete floor. Is it a footwear issue to many, in many degrees? In many cases, it is. Uh, a, a sneaker or a shoe is not designed to last forever. Uh, in most cases, if we pick on a sneaker, uh, average mileage about 200 to 300 miles before you have to change that sneaker. And most people are coming in when you start doing the math. You know, they got five, six hundred miles on these sneakers. Yeah. So, right. uh, you know, my dad always told me, and who I based most of my knowledge on in this sphere, is, is you should always have at least two pairs of shoes and switch them off either every day or every other day. Correct. So, not correct. always wearing the same shoes. Correct. Is that still correct? It's still correct. I tell everybody the same thing. You know, if I if I run into a runner, uh, you know, the shoe you wear for running is just for running. When it starts to wear out, get a new shoe for running, then this one can be your kick-around shoe that you're doing yard work with, and then get rid of it and keep keep rotating them down. How about for the person who's going to work? Say they're going to work at the casino. Everybody's got to wear the, those black shoes. Yes. Um, of which there are multiple varieties yes. now, and some look more. Should they have... Two pairs, even if they're of the exact same shoe? They, they should because, one, you want to stop the wear pattern on it. But also we're looking at a, a hygiene problem here that you want that shoe to dry out so you decrease the bacterial and fungal load in that shoe. How about the material shoes uh, shoes are made of now? I mean, there are a lot of various materials. We see uh, the nylon mesh like you see in sneakers. Yes. Uh, we're seeing, uh, obviously, leather still sometimes variations of leather that they call leather, but it's not really right, leather. Right. Uh, does that play a role? It, it does. The The spandex material is much more forgiving. Um, so if you're dealing with a structural deformity, a bunion or hammer toe, it does take a lot of the pressure off. It's also a breathable fabric. So you start letting the air get to the feet and you start to decrease some of the bacterial load. You know, So you don't see as much athlete's foot uh, and fungus and bacteria in there. So I do tell a lot of people, yes, the, the, the more breathable, the better. Stay away from the, the hard leather. So it's not only structural, but it's also from a hygiene correct, standpoint. Correct, correct. How about heels? I mean, we're, we're seeing, okay, we're, <laughs> you're, you're just grinning at but it's true. We're seeing women wear higher and higher heels. I mean, some are almost bordering on stilts. Yeah. Um, but yeah. by the same token, um, should they just get rid of heels? I mean, what should a uh, young the, woman do? You're never going to, first the, the, of all, let me just tell you, you're never going to sell that one, but go ahead. You'll put me out of business if they right. if they do away with the heels. Um, hey, good for me, uh, but, you know, uh, bad for the foot. Uh, you know, there was a study out years ago that it just uh, a heel, a moderate heel, you know, uh, say a three-inch heel, will make that Achilles structure uh, work 10 times harder than just wearing a normal sneaker. 
So there's there's a lot of overuse injuries. And, and I see a lot of uh, female patients that will come in with, you know, bunions, hammer toes, uh, uh, forefoot deformities. And it's all from wearing heels for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And by the time they get to me, you know, they already know. So I don't wear heels anymore. Uh, but it took, you know, 10, 20 years to learn that lesson. Um, how about the soles of a shoe? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, it used to be every every shoe had leather soles. Then Vibram came yes. in. And I don't even know if that's still what still they around. use. Still around. Yes. So does that play a big role? Uh, the, the Vibram came out for more shock absorption to it. Um, but what you're looking for in the sole of the shoe is a stiff shoe or a stiff sole. Uh, I'll tell all my people to grab the shoe between two of their uh, both hands and try to squeeze it and bend the shoe. Uh, you want something that's very rigid. A lot of boat shoes and flimsy shoes, eh, you're looking at uh, some type of an overuse injury. We're going to get back to talking with Dr. Michael Scanlon and give us some quick tidbits for everybody on how to make your feet feel better. You're listening Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. And now a WTIC 